welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Welcome to Proper Mental Podcast, episode 167. And my guest this week is Nadia Gilani, who is a writer and yoga teacher. And Nadia was introduced to yoga as a teenager when her mum took her along to a class as a way of helping her with her mental health. And since then, yoga has been a constant and important part of Nadia's life. But her relationship with the practice has not always been a smooth one. And in this episode, I chat to Nadia about her experiences with mental illness that started when she was a teenager. And we talk about that first yoga class, what led her there and the impact that finding yoga has had ever since. And we talk about eating disorders and sobriety and recovery. And we chat about movement and physical health and why the wellness industry is essentially just bullshit. And of course, we chat a lot about yoga and how it can be beneficial with regards to mental health, but also how it's not the answer to everything like it's often sold to be. And this is one of those wonderful conversations that goes absolutely everywhere. And we really get into some big topics. And I reached out to Nadia after reading her book which is called The Yoga Manifesto. I got it for Christmas off my sister, and it's a really wonderful read. If you would like to know more about Nadia's experiences with her mental health, more about the mental illness side of things, that's all in the book. There's a deep dive in there. But also, if you'd like to know more about the yoga side of this conversation, that's also tied up in the book as well. So there's loads of stuff in there about just yoga in general and the roots of yoga, what it is, what it isn't what it could be and what it should be. And it's all that sort of stuff really that kind of inspired me to to reach out to Nadia because I saw so many parallels with what she was writing about, about the yoga world. I saw loads of parallels with the mental health space as well. So one of the things that Nadia touches on in the book is this whole thing that the way yoga has kind of been packaged and marketed and turned into something, it actually makes it quite inaccessible for the people who need it the most. It's become quite exclusive. And I often think that the conversation around mental health, particularly on social media or in the media, is similar in a lot of ways. Although there's some great people doing some great work, all that work does seem to happen in the same places with the same demographic of people and this might be a bit controversial but I sometimes feel like while there's a lot of good work being done sometimes the conversation is made unaccessible for the people who need to hear it the most and we kind of dig around in there in this episode as well I absolutely love chatting to Nadia and something that really jumped out for me is how much we actually had in common while having very little in common so we're the same age but other than that we couldn't be more different Nadia and I she's a South Asian woman who's always grown up in London in the city and I'm a white man who's always grown up near the coast we have completely different backgrounds, completely different culture, completely different family setup. Everything is different. And yet as soon as we started talking about mental health, we just found this this common ground. And even our mental health experiences couldn't be more different. But there was so much in there once we started to explore that just kind of matched up and aligned. And it really was wonderful just to kind of get into it all and just have a really big, open and honest 
conversation. I always love episodes like this. So yeah, if you'd like to know more about Nadia, if you'd like to pick up a copy of her book, everything you need to know is in the episode notes or the socials or website, all of that sort of stuff. And I've been talking for a while now, so I'm not going to do too much of a hard sell this week on the Patreon. But if you would like to watch this conversation or any of the previous conversations or any of the conversations coming in the future, you can do so for £3 a month and you can become a proper mentalist and be a part of the Patreon community. And all that does really is allow me to keep doing this show, to keep having these conversations. It just covers all my basic costs and your support is very much appreciated. And this is episode 167 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Nadia Gilani. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. So here we are. It's another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. My guest this week is Nadia Gilani. How are you, mate? Doing very well and very happy to see you. Happy to be here. Thank you. Oh, mate, that's awesome. I, I was thinking about that, you know, and I often think with the the modern world, I often feel like it's a bit too fast for me. Like I'm just not built for it. But there are advantages to it. And, you know, I got your, we're only two weeks post-Christmas. And I got your book for Christmas. I started it on Boxing Day. I'd read it by New Year's. And then here we are, not even a fortnight later, we're chatting about it. And, you know, that's a good thing about the modern world, right? I think that's quite amazing, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. I thought it was quite, um, I was going to say proper mental, actually, but I thought it was, um, yeah, yeah, really cool how, like, you got in touch with me and that how quickly you'd read the book. I was, like, quite amazed by that. And um, yeah, that we were just on email and then here we are and we don't know each other. And we're going to have a really, um, I was thinking about this just before we got on that we're going to have, you know, we'll see where it takes us, but we're going to have, you know, kind of like quite an intimate conversation. But, you know, those are the conversations that I'm sort of into really at this stage of my life. This is what the stuff of life is about, isn't it? Yeah, very much. So I feel like that. I kind of, I'm not so good at chatting about the about the weather and about the smaller things. But if you want to get deep, then like I'm more than happy to uh, to get involved. Yeah, very much so. I so I mean I suppose the book's a great place to start, really. And um something that really jumped out to me early on because we're the same age, Nadia, right? And it, you, you said in a book that you went to your first yoga class in 1996. Right. And I was trying to think of like in '96, like I, I, yoga did. You know, it was a good like. 10 years before I even heard the word yoga. Yeah. Um, and obviously it's caught fire loads, hasn't it, in in more recent times. But that seems like really, really early on to, uh, you know, had you heard of yoga, like pre-96 going to that first class? No, I didn't know what it was. My mum took me to that first class and I think it, I think I thought it was some kind of weird, wacky, I'm sure there's people who still think that, um, you know, out there, there, there will be even despite that it's really popular, there's going to be people who still think of it as this kind of weird thing or think of it as something that isn't for them. I certainly didn't think it was for me. Um, but no, yeah, I hadn't heard of it. My mum told me about it. I thought it was this, I had a vague kind of idea that it was this kind of weird, strange, yeah, wacky thing. And then she took me along and it kind of was a weird, strange, wacky thing, I suppose, because it was, it had a really profound effect on me and I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Was that from the first class that you felt like that had that profound effect? Yeah. I mean, I think obviously I've been practicing a long time now, so it changed. It has changed um, over the years and the effects of it have changed over the years. It's meaning it means different things to me now. But I think there was something that kind of shifted in that first class. 
Um, and it was an hour long. Uh, it took about an hour for it to happen, for the magic to take place. And I, I tried to write about it in my book and to try and bring that sort of, to try and cultivate and conjure up that feeling for the reader. Um, and I did my best, but it was really kind of beyond words, really, trying to describe you know, what happened then and, and what kind of happened still, because it's such a personal thing. Um, but it was good. It was a good feeling. And it was a feeling of reprieve because I was in a, quite a state when my mum took me. It was the reason why she took me. Um, and I think the key thing that I wanted to say in the book, and I and I kind of, I suppose, I'm sure we'll talk about it here as well, is that it didn't cure me um, of the things that she'd taken me there to sort of look at. Um, but it definitely opened something up. And I think that's probably, yeah, the sort of the key thing, really. And I think that's maybe all we can really hope for with our mental health. Some of us anyway, certainly me. I, I don't think I'm cured of all the things that I've dealt with. Um, no, not at all. Sadly, I wish I had been. But but I think I still deal with things now. Yeah, I'm not sure. There's kind of the more time I think about my own mental health experience. I'm not sure. I don't think a I don't think a cure is is the thing, you know. And I don't think I'd change that, you know. Like for for all the like horrible things that have happened, um, so much of it kind of makes me me, and some of it allows me to like live a certain way or be a type of person that I really like being. And I'm not sure I would have, you know, yeah. I'm not sure I'd be if I wasn't so soft and sensitive, and I probably wouldn't have like you know the wife I've got and things like that. So you know, like. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's a funny one, isn't it? Thinking of it in terms of of cure or not, it gets um it gets strange. But um, yoga is often prescribed in like the the well being self help space as like this cure all thing. And um, yeah, I mean nothing is is that at all, is it? Least of all yoga. No, I think there's probably there's different levels of it, and I think you're right to say it's interesting what you said about being sensitive because when I first started therapy, and I've I've had a lot of counsellors over the years. Well, I've seen a lot of counsellors over the years and like some of them didn't quite work out. Some of them didn't want to work with me because I um, didn't want to do the homework because there was homework in some of them with, uh, with, with CBT, for example, cognitive behavioural therapy. I didn't really agree with that at all. Um, where I've ended up now is um, with been seeing the same person for a few years now. And I remember saying to him, and it's interesting because um, I listened to one of your podcasts um, with the therapist. I've forgotten her name now. Oh, with Tasha, Tasha Bailey. Yeah, with Tasha, that's it. Yeah, and I thought she was brilliant, and it's really interesting. She talked about, and I've gone, I've gone off the point. I want to come back to the sensitivity thing in a minute. This is how my brain works. Um, I dart about a bit. I'm sure I've got ADHD traits, um, but just that she was talking about, you know, the benefits of having someone who looks like you because you'd asked her about that. But then also that you know, and she didn't have she when she saw someone when she was training, and and it didn't, and I and I really related to that part because I've got a white man. And we and he's willing to go to those places and have those conversations with me. If anything, he brings it up more than I do, or he used to. We don't talk about it so much these days. And it was really, it really interested me because you know, this is relationships with men um, and other things that maybe he represents were things that possibly were going to come up in therapy. You know, with me. Um, and I remember saying to him that I had a thin skin and that I needed a thicker skin when I first started and he sort of challenged that and said to me, well, you know, we're not, that's not really our work because he said, well, if you have a thick skin, you're not going to feel anything. And that really got me thinking. Cause I thought, yeah, wow. Yeah. God, we don't want a thick skin either. And I thought, well, I'll just go for like a medium. Maybe I should <laughs> just hope for a sort of like a medium skin 
um because being thin-skinned you know to use I mean I, I think we use it when we're just it's too raw isn't it everything's too close and you know things touch you and it's like electricity like a shock um and so I think it's good to build and I guess that's what we do There's, it's not about cure so much it's I don't like the word resilient but it is a good word I don't know why I don't like it something happens to me with that word I think it's because maybe I've got a chip on my shoulder about it because maybe I feel like I've had to be resilient at various points in my life. And I'm like, and I have, then I have moments where I'm just like, I'm tired. I don't want to be strong anymore. I just want to be able to breathe and be at peace. And then, you know, I grow up a little bit around that and then I just carry on again. And resilient is fine, that word. But I think maybe that is what we do. We build up our stamina. I certainly did that when I, when I stopped drinking. I think that over the year, in a way, I mean, not to bang on about this cure thing, but in a way, I do think that maybe I, I don't know about cure, maybe that's not the great work, greatest word, but I think that maybe I'm, I don't think I'll ever drink again. I find it really annoying. Sometimes I think misguided people or people who just haven't got a clue about this kind of thing sometimes ask me if I'll drink again. And I find it a bit of a weird question because I sort of think, well, if you knew somebody who'd ever been through any mental illness or had challenges with their mental health, I don't think you'd ask that question. Because obviously there's a reason why I stopped. Um, so why would I why would I go back and do it again? I'm not I'm not scared of drinking, but I just don't see there's any point. Like we've been there, we did that, it didn't work. Just leave it. And in a way, I think I am kind of very better, much better, and kind of as close to a cure as you're gonna be with drinking, because I don't feel like I fight that fight anymore. I don't try and avoid it. I don't have a problem with people drinking. I don't mind the smell of it. I used to have issues with like walking past pubs, you know, years ago. Um, when I first in the early days, I just it was real, just brought up a lot of stuff for me. Um, but then the body and the food and all of that is a whole other game, and I don't know whether I'll ever be free of that. Yeah, that is like a lot of these things are like bolt on, you know, aren't they? Yeah. There's like there's like the thing, and then everything else is uh, it's a, as I don't know, it's like a to help us cope with the thing whether that's a healthy way of coping or not but i mean i'm very similar to you when it comes to the word resilience that you know, that landed for me i'm the same i don't like using it i know what it means and i know what i mean by it but i feel like when i say it the first thing i heard is all that like that david goggins do you know what I mean no one cares go harder all that macho bullshit that's what like society yeah. seems to think resilience means but really to me it means more um being able to kind of to, to go with the flow you know to go to yeah. be able to adapt and um the whole thick skin thing it'd be cool if it you know if that could be like a like a wetsuit or something so you like choose to have it thicker on some days and then other days yeah. <laughs> not, not so much you know step in and out of it that's so cool actually and maybe that is part of what resilience is like being able to know when you know like bracing ourselves and certain situations we're going to be in you know um we do need to just let things roll up roll off our backs um and there's challenging situations that we willingly you know are going to walk into because we want to do it but we're scared or whatever reason so um yeah because I think yeah I really um think that res I think what it means in society is kind of like keep calm and carry on or fake it till you make it or you know all that kind of like overly positivity type mm. of stuff that I really struggle with and I think a lot, not not to diss it too much, but I do think that sometimes that happens around the mental health space. And I think that um, 
not to sort of critique it too much, but I do think sometimes people are talking about things and they haven't really got a clue what they're talking about. And I just think it's not, you know, because I, I just I, I just think it's it's such a gritty, like when I listened to your story, you know, because I wanted to find out about what you'd been through and why you started the podcast. I was really interested in that. And it was such a moving, heartbreaking, God, this is my interpretation, Um, you know, permit me for sharing i hope that's okay i i, I of just of course yeah yeah I, I just found it so i didn't know what you were going to say and you said thing you talked about things that you'd been through that i wasn't expecting um and i just thought it was really brave of you and i know that's another funny word isn't it but i just thought it was really brave because um it it was rough you know for you and um i just think that those are the conversations that I'm really interested in because I think that it's when you've been to hell, I mean, it, which is what that sounded like to me. Mm -hmm. um, I've been to hell as well and and it was awful. And I, I just think sometimes when I, when I hear sort of like overly positivity type of stuff, I just think, I think it's great, but I also don't because I just think that I don't know whether that's very real um, because I think in a, in a way, like I was thinking about this before coming to talk to you today is that I think, I think it changes you forever when you've been through mm -hmm. something as profound as what you have and things that I have, when you've been in the trenches, we move on, but I don't know whether, but it, but it is a wound and it is a scar perhaps, or whatever, you know, whatever it might mean for you, it might not be a wound for you anymore. It might be kind of okay now and healed but it is still the remark is still there isn't it mm. and I, yeah. I i can't ever ignore that yeah it's very yeah it becomes you very much a part of you and um yeah it's, it's strange to think about isn't it when you think about your own experiences like that but it's true it changes you in a way for me it like it changed me for the better it mm. like because the only way out of of my, you know, my own version of hell was to start to find compassion for myself. And once I was able to do that, I could start finding it for other people. And now I look back at me free breakdown and I think, well, oh, you probably weren't that nice. You know, like I wasn't a horrible person. I wasn't a hate filled person, but I maybe wasn't a patient person. I maybe wasn't a particularly empathetic person. Um, whereas now I, you know, that I, I am very much so, you know, very much so. And I think sometimes it can have that, that effect of yeah turning something on that needs to be on you know maybe, i think maybe it opens things up as well i think if anything maybe you, i can't imagine you weren't particularly nice before but i think that maybe it was a case of it opens us up to what other people might be you know kind of going through yeah or that sensitivity empathy uh like you said compassion for yourself compassion for others those are just only can only be brilliant things and I think if anything like you know the more life experiences we have the more depths of emotions that we go to um whether we choose to or not because it sounds like what happened with you and certainly what's happened with me I didn't if I if I in, in some in some ways there's bits of me that are like well if I didn't have to if, if I didn't have to go through that I wouldn't choose to but the fact that I did um and it has affected me. It does mean that I have empathy and insight. And I think relatability, I think people often find it comfortable to tell me things and talk to me about things because it's just not going to scare me. You know, talking about suicidal ideation or, um, I mean, that freaks people out. I mean, in my experience, right, in the past, there's 
you know, I and, and I there's people I just wouldn't talk to about that who I love dearly. And there's one friend coming to mind now who I remember standing on a, it's so funny, we're standing on a bridge with, not anything is going to happen. We were just having a conversation there. And I told him that I'd been feeling this way. And we just had this really profound conversation and we just carried on. Like, not in that moment, I was talking about the past. Um, and I knew it was going to be safe and it was going to be all right. And I was bursting to tell somebody. I had to tell somebody because it was really bothering me. But you've got to choose wisely, haven't you? Because not everybody's going to handle it and I think it's I mean in fairness to them I suppose it is quite a big thing to put offload isn't it so you know, we have to kind of choose wisely about who we tell for our own selves but then also for them as well because we don't know if they're going to be all right with that information yeah yeah definitely I think a lot of the narrative around not talking is more about people not sure who's listening you know or not yeah. having someone who who can listen yeah and like you say it's 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 both things yeah picking someone who can listen but yeah also not you know going around trauma dumping to make us feel better right <laughs> just expecting people to uh to absorb it but um i was going to rewind a little bit there nadia and to you know back to that first yoga class and you mentioned that you had a lot going on going into that class um yeah. did that kind of start for you you know sort of school teenage age that sort of stuff yeah i'm not quite sure why um, I still think sort of I'm grappling with kind of like what happened exactly. And I guess maybe it doesn't even matter. But yeah, it was teenage years. Um, I had a really sort of happy, love filled uh, childhood. Um, I only had I had one parent. So I had my mother, but I was I had a very good relationship with her. Dad wasn't around, but it wasn't like any that th th their kind of separation sort of had any kind of massively consciously traumatic impact on my life, although obviously having an absent father has affected my life and that's like some stuff I'm sort of working through in therapy, I guess. But yeah, um, I, yeah, so long-winded answer, but yeah, it did, it, it was in my teenage years and then I sort of started um, not, I didn't want to eat anymore. That's kind of initially what happened. I didn't want to eat anymore and started lying about what I was eating and then, um my and then I and then I realized and then I discovered how to be sick and then that was it ruined me really I mean it it, it ruined me for decades like years um so that's what I meant about the yoga didn't fix it all um but it it was a reprieve is I suppose you know that that hour was it, it, and it opened something up a feeling of feeling and it because my body was such a battleground for me at the time it sort of, you know, obviously, and it's a physical, there's a physical side to the practice. So, you know, it kind of just put me in touch with my body in strange new ways. And I think I just, yeah, I really loved that. Yeah, that's, it's fascinating. It's because quite often as modern humans were in different ways, we're kind of at wars with our bodies, even though it's this like, you know, it's the, the vessel, it's the thing carrying around all the thoughts and feelings and emotions. But there's, there's a real, there's a real battle and it's a bit of a cliche you know, that you hear quite a lot on Instagram, but often like cliches are cliches for a reason, right? Because they're, because they're true. But that whole thing of thinking more about, you know, what your body can do and yeah. rather than like what it looks like or rather than what it represents or, but there is, there is something in that kind of respect, having respect for it and trying to build that rep, um, that relationship, I suppose, between your mind and your body rather than like constantly taking everything out on your, on your body. That's a hard balance to find, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think it's it came to me quite late in the day, but I think it's a real um, 
healer to kind of shift the perspective from what the body looks like and to really focusing on what it can do. And that's what I started doing um, in through the yoga practice and then other activity, other physical movement practices and strength training and other things I've discovered along the way through my life that I just love bodying things and learning about muscles and, you know, get quite geeky about all this stuff. But um, yeah, in the early days, it was just, just how it felt. And because, because it was also, I mean, people talk about, you know, eating disorders and um, I find it quite tricky to listen, actually, if I'm really honest, it's still quite a difficult, I find I can talk about drinking really, really comfortably and really, really easily. It's in the past. I'm not going to do it anymore. With body is still a kind of ongoing um, thing. I think I'm working out and I'm not saying it's like still a, still I'm not still 16 anymore in my head, but I definitely, it's not just a case of like fat and thin, um, certainly for me, and I'm sure there's other people out there, but often, you know, there's, there's a lot of conversations around weight loss, a fear of food, certain foods and all that kind of thing. And um, for me, I think in recent years, just, I've just been realizing that it's, it's so much more nuanced than that. Oh my God, there's so many layers that I've yet to discover um, because there's been days and tight periods of my life where I've really struggled to just live in the body, like, because you can't be practicing the yoga postures and going to the gym or doing whatever bodying practices you like doing all the time. It doesn't last, like it lasts for a while after you've stopped and then you go about your day and you do your stuff. And I used to find it just excruciating to to just be in my body. And I still have those days now. I mean, it's, it's this is a really uncomfortable thing for me to admit because it's hard to articulate. I'm embarrassed by it. And mm, because... I don't know. I don't want to sound like sound like I'm feeling sorry for myself, but it's, it's something I'm really looking at and, you know, thinking about maybe writing more about because writing always helps me. But I haven't got there yet. So maybe I'm not ready. But just to kind of like look at and maybe and then I've been questioning, you know, gender and looking at kind of like maybe it's less to do with fat and thin. Maybe it's to do with female body. And, you know, because obviously my problems still happened when puberty was happening at the same you know I'm, I don't know these are all just things I'm thinking um so yeah it's a really uncomfortable thing but then yeah always when I come back to thinking about what my body can do and I'm doing it in that moment and I'm feeling really strong strength is something that's really really effective for me feeling really strong lifting heavy things throwing them around um I go to a gym where I go to a women's gym and I love doing it together community is really important to me so I've never been somebody who really likes gyms and I think partly it is not it's, it's, it's the kind of gym stuff but it's also like the active action you know the the exercises but it's I think it's also the solitude um because there came a point in my yoga in the yoga journey where that stopped working for me because I just didn't like doing it on my own like it's all on your own and in, as I've got older, you know, community is really, really important to me. Connection. The biggest irony is that it's also the thing that I run from when I'm feeling vulnerable. But I think in order to stay well or, you know, on the path, on, on the journey, connection is um, what makes me feel good. And then when you feel good, it just takes the focus, softens the focus, doesn't it, around the, the demons or whatever you want to call them. And yeah. the sorry, I know I'm talking a lot, but just... I just think I was thinking in my head about when we do things like therapy or when we go through these tough things, I feel like we're looking at everything through a magnifying glass, you know, and 
if we keep we stay with the magnifying glass i just don't think that's the kind of good way to be you kind of have to zoom out a little bit quite a lot you know in most cases really uh, but at your own pace and slowly zoom out and just see the bigger picture and you know that that life can be beautiful i mean it can be really tough um and i think the beauty comes with other people actually mm, it really yeah. does yeah yeah no i completely completely agree yeah community is so important and being being part of something that is bigger than yourself reminds you of your of your place when like being unwell is 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 so is so lonely and and isolating i i think the the conversation around community and, and fitness is really, really important. And we saw that um, during the pandemic and all the gyms shut and all the yoga studios shut and everything, but we could all do that stuff at home. And, you know, what became clear to me is that the exercise was part of it, but also um, turning up at the gym and seeing the guy whose name I don't know, but he's always on the counter when I get there and we just say hello and swap the time of day and then bumping into one of my mates who's just leaving as I'm going in in the car park and these tiny little interactions of being part of that community. And they don't, in individually, they don't really mean anything, but overall, they're actually really, really lovely. And that was kind of one of the things that was stripped from us. And, um, you know, you exercise in, you go to part of that group, but you also like the isolation. And when you're in a class environment and you're all kind of doing the same thing, but you're not necessarily talking, you're getting on with it, but around other people. And that's like, I don't know, we're built for it. I do. I really do think that that's part of being part of the human experience. I think. I think it is. I mean, I've become, I think part of my sort of recovery or thinking about like going back to the body thing, I think is in recent, in at least the last couple of years, I've been sort of discovering how I'm happiest when I'm sort of like feeling like an animal and that might sound really strange but when I sort of become sort of just flesh and you know bones and sweat and effort in these physical practices that I'm enjoying that seems to be when I'm happy might not be the right word but you know I'm where I feel like me feel most like me and I feel at ease in my body and I think that we forget, you know, I think what, you know, we are animals after all. And I think we forget that because we live in this kind of strange world, um, you know, that's constructed, isn't it? It's like a sort of, when it, you know, I was going to say man-made, but of course it is like we've, we've created society. We've created all these pressures and strange things that we have to navigate. And then, you know, wild animals don't have to deal with any of that. They're just dealing with nature and the elements and the crazy things that surely go, you know, of course, nature does mad wild things as well. And they just deal with that, but they don't have all the emotional stuff that we have to deal with. Um, but when I go back to that basics thing of just, you know, flesh and sweat and effort, like I said, I, I, that's where I, I seem to need to be, but, but modern life means that I can't live there. Um, and also being with other people, I guess that's the point I was trying to make is that, you know, animals tend to, um be together don't they 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 sort of you know um I mean I really relate I don't know why but I really relate to kind of like lion lions and tigers and um you know they're, they're kind of like together aren't they they hang out together in a pride and they look after each other and I find that really inspiring I mean it, I don't know does that sound really strange but not at all not at all like if you you know I always think that life is supposed to be physically challenging and mentally easy that's the original design and we've got it. And now we've made it the other way around. So we have to go look 
to to swap it back how it's meant to be. I, I think about that a lot this time of year because the uh, we're being bombarded at the moment with you know new year, new me, fresh start, join my plan, sign up for this, smash your goals. Every other species in nature is hunkered down right now, and they are they're waiting for spring, and they're they're plotting and planning and and stashing food away. We're the only ones capitalist society who are, who are going for it. Now is not the time. It's dark. It's cold. We should be we should be lying low like everybody else. But it's almost like I think that Mother Nature, the the modern world has evolved so fast. Mother Nature can't keep up, right? So we're we're almost like we're like. Um, do you remember that movie California Man where Brendan Fraser gets cut out of the ice? We're, that's us. We are the California Man, I think, in this. And that's uh, that's it's got to be a it's got to play a part, I think, in a lot of the particularly the mental related problems that we experience as humans. I think. Yeah, definitely. It's really that's really interesting. I, I liked what you said there. What did you say? Physically challenging and mentally mentally e easy. Yeah, because if you think about it, once like as a as a hunter gatherer, once we had you know a fire and some food stashed away and everything was tidy, there's you know there's not loads to do when you read studies about the last remaining Amazon tribes, they're all just kind of like pottering around really, you know, there's not, there's got, no one's got work, you know? Yeah. No one's, so uh, yeah, but like finding the food is hard. And then afterwards you just kind of like, you know, I'd imagine they just kind of sit off, stare into space, you know, like don't overthink things. And uh, yeah. yeah. It's like you said though, at like the beginning about life being too fast and not being able to keep up with it or not being made for it. And it's interesting because when you were saying that, I was thinking back to the crazy life that I've had where I have been part of that and clearly wasn't coping with it or um, keeping up with it or just about was, you know, kind of getting by. And it's, I don't know, like it's it's kind of like life is too fast um, or it's it doesn't allow for those seasons of living, like you're saying about hunkering down and, you know, I feel like my spirit animal is a hedgehog in the winter um, because um, I feel, even when I'm out there, you know, I'm on my bike cycling around in brutal cold and um, inside my body just wants to curl into a ball like a hedgehog. And, you know, if you come too close and disturb me, my spikes will come out. It's how I feel. And, um, but in the summer, I'm a different creature, you know, I'm a completely different creature. I'm sort of arms and legs spread out, I don't know what animal that would be, but, you know, taking up space. I feel really good in my skin. My muscles just, the fibres change, it feels like. Um, but but yet, because of society and the culture that we, the modern life that we lead, um, I mean, I try to, I, I resist it a lot. I don't know about you. Do you find that you, like, I, I go against the grain quite a lot, and I suppose that's my sort of punk, rebellious side, which is, which is, um, a bit quite stubborn side of me which is and because I'm in my 40s now I've had it now and I'm I'm kind of tired so I will partake in the pace but then I withdraw a lot to cope with it like do, do you have that in order to deal with yeah. it you know it's going on around us and we have to live it so how do you deal with it yeah it's trying to figure out like I don't know how much shit you're willing to eat really it's kind of like the bluntest way of saying it you know and uh I think that's why you know, I for a long time, you know, plugging into that version of society and tr trying to live it definitely played a part in me getting poorly, like a hundred percent. It's you know, like the old um, I don't know, round 
peg square hole or whatever the analogy is that you know you can only do that for so long before something breaks and um you know i think that's i definitely have to you know i'm self-employed now and i you know i have to like pick and choose how much work i'm going to take on and get that balance between paying the mortgage and not you know and seeing my kids and all that sort of stuff but it's it's a constant juggling act yeah something i've said in therapy it's like i know i always say like you know I feel sometimes I feel like I'm not built for anything. I say to my therapist, like, I can't go and work for someone else, but I'm too, like, I'm too, um, there's too much anxiety, too much overthinking to like work for myself, you know, like, cause you have to kind of accept that you could have, you know, busy months and quiet months and all that stuff, isn't it? And uh, it's always like, well, what am I cut out for? I'm too soft for self-employed and that softness doesn't work in, in the other world. And like, you know, well, how can I find the balance? But, uh, you know, some days I've, I've, some days I'm really up for that challenge and other days I feel like I just can't face it. And I just want to stay in bed. And that's, I suppose that's the, that's my version of the human experience. Yeah. But I think that's probably that's just the way that we have to do it then. Because I, I I remember saying to it's from a friend you know, like quite recently actually that I was just like you know square peg round hole. I was just kind of like uh, the same friend I spoke to on the bridge that time, and I said I'm just not made for this world. But there's no answer to that because it was like well we have to live in this world if we're going to live we've got to live in this world. So how do we find a way to live? And I guess it is that it's that sort of. But that's and that's where the compassion comes in, which is tough for me, I think. But just kind of thinking, you know what, I'm going to have a hideaway day and or I'm going to have a and and permission for that, you know, because I used to I used to a, I used to not do that in the past when I was in the thick of my illnesses. But also I used to feel the guilt or, um, you know, like that I didn't deserve and all these kind of like all those unhelpful words um which I think still probably have a bit of a trigger for me again because I um I don't feel guilty anymore I just think that's a really futile one I've kind of thrown that one in the bin but I do sometimes um think is it okay that I'm doing I've chosen this thing that I'm doing sometimes I question it but generally it is getting better because I think that's again like again maybe it's age maybe it's just the world has got faster and faster and faster and I just don't like it anymore. Like, I don't want to do it. And, you know, I think maturity is part of that. Because I think when, when when you're younger, I just got swept away. And I just kind of did things that I thought I was meant to be doing. And you get older and you realise, oh, wow, I can choose it, how much socialising or how much, you know. Because there's lots of wonderful things that I find quite draining. So I just have to kind of even be, you know, look at that as well. Like, you know, I was socialising so much. And I think that, or, or you know, with people a lot. And never having any quiet time. And now quiet time is what I, I, I live for it. You know, I live for those pockets in between. Um, but then, you know, not too much because then you can go into despair and, you know, that can be unhelpful. So like you said, it's it's a juggle, isn't it? It's a balancing act. Yes. It's the journey, I suppose, finding out what works for you and then the best way to, uh, best way to, to apply it. Yeah. It's, um yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah. I do. Um, I do think about it a lot. Yeah, very much so. But yeah, it's something you learn along the way. I think as humans, we learn a lot by mistakes, don't we? So that's something that quite often is, you know, once you kind of get something wrong a few times, then it's time to go, ah, maybe I just, you know, shouldn't give that much of myself to these social occasions or maybe I do need to recharge on my own or or whatever it is. But um, yeah, it's complicated. I suppose the most important thing is just to be honest about it, right? Because it's so like when you have, when you when you think like that, and then to have someone else say like, you know, oh, I'm really, uh, 
you know, sometimes I really struggle being self-employed or, do you know what? I'm a bit fucking skint this month. Do you know what I mean? And like, like that's so lovely when you go, oh, me too. That's how yeah. I feel. And it, it doesn't change anything. But, you know, it's that, yeah, I think speaking speaking honestly about it is a great way to to understand it and open up conversations about it in a way that we can like pick up ideas and tips to um, to apply it to ourselves maybe. Yeah, and I think that goes against the grain of, I mean, I think it's it's really good. Like there is a big culture shift in terms of like being more open, isn't there? And I think that's that can only be a good thing because I think the whole stiff upper lip, old school, everything's fine, keep calm and carry on thing has not done anyone any favours. So, yeah, and I think, um, yeah, if somebody reflects something back to you that you're feeling, that's, it's a comfort. Um, yeah, and I think that, yeah. I think I'm going to pause there because I think I lost my thread. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, not at all. That's why we're here, right? That's why we're here. Yeah, I was really interested um, when we, you were talking about how yoga opened something up for you to start to think about getting better and working towards recovery. And I'm really kind of interested in, I suppose, it's that middle bit that we don't talk about so much societally. We talk about being ill and we talk about being well. And there's, I often find there's that murky bit in between the two that's probably more useful for people to hear about right is when you're in it and someone's like oh i used to be poorly now i run ultra marathons you yeah nice one fuck you you know like <laughs> that's no good to me <laughs> but that that middle bit and was there anything like um i suppose alongside yoga and therapy and, and these was it just a case of just like keep going and, and piece it back together and figure it out um god that's quite a that's a hard question to answer because I mean, I suppose just for anybody listening, I mean, I in terms of just my background, you know, in terms of my uh, mental struggles or or troubles. Um, so I had eating disorders. I had, I mean, I don't, I mean, I was never diagnosed though, Tom. I was never, you know, I mean, I'm calling them eating disorders because it was ob it's obvious to me, you know, that, that it was disordered eating. There's there's eating, there's normal eating and then there's disordered eating, isn't there? And I think disordered eating is rife, by the way. Um, I think it's everywhere. And, it, you know, for, and it, on a spectrum from like lower level, you know, avoidance of things uh, to hardcore where I ended up. Um, but no, the GP, I mean, I we won't go into all of that because it'll be boring, but I, the doctor didn't think that I was ill enough or or whatever and I wasn't diagnosed but my mum thought that you know something was up something clearly was and then forcing yourself to be sick is not is not uh that's that's an illness isn't it or that's messed up behavior um I mean who does that do you know what I mean so I was doing that and then um I was still doing the yoga classes to answer your question but I was still doing that and then um seeing and I'm talking about obviously from 16 this is like early 20s and various different things happened in my life um uh, because being young is hard and finding your way and um I sort of saw some counsellors as well through through that time didn't really work out um and then in my sort of at some point in my 20s I can't really remember when yeah I must have been in my 20s drinking took off um binge drinking uh I hated drinking it's funny I hated drinking with other people because I often I often hear people talk about drinking and you know how they used to drink to be socially um comfortable and I 
I don't remember actually. Maybe I didn't really find social occasions that comfortable either. But I did them anyway, and I was all right and very chatty and generally pretty pretty good with people. I always have been, but um, I started just drinking a lot on my own. And then um, yeah, I didn't I used to really like drinking so much at social things. Although I did do it, but then I would leave early to carry on drinking on my own. So then that went on for years, and then I was still practicing the yoga. So I mean, I guess that's part of the reason why I wrote my book because my book is about me. But it's also about, you know, yoga and wellness and what's happened to yoga and how I think wellness is bullshit. And uh, it's like an anti-wellness book in some ways as well. So it's got a book of, you know, it's a book of many parts. But the thing that I really wanted to get in there was without taking, dragging your reader into the trenches with me, because I did talk about, you know, the darkness. It was really important to me that I did that um, because like you say, a lot of stories are kind of like, you know, think life was really hard and now I'm running marathons or you know, things were really shit and and now it's better. And I think for me, lots of things have got better, but, and I don't want to be negative about it, but there are still things that I, I mean, I don't know whether I'm, I don't know whether I'm a hundred percent well, do you know what I mean? Like, I think I'm still on that path. I think I'm still, but it's very private. Like I wouldn't, I mean, I know I'm talking to you about it on here, but it's, it's, I'm being quite vague um, on purpose because it's still there's some aspects that I really wish I'd nailed by now and I haven't and um, but within that there are there's been growth as well so I suppose that's kind of what I'm trying to say and I'm trying I try to say that in the book and is that it's possible to be um, to understand lots of therapeutic things that help you and to do them most of the time or some of the time but then also to have days or moments where your brain goes bad and I might, and that's when I might start being a little bit funny around food um, or, you know, doing weird things. And sometimes I'll let myself do it. Cause I'll just think, look, this is, you're feeling so vulnerable that this is the safe thing that you need to do right now. And that's fine. Um, but let's not try and let it get out of hand is kind of, you know, because I mean, I don't know what else to do in situations like that. You know, I just think that what can we do? Like you said earlier about making mistakes, like it is trial and hopefully less error. But, you know, we, when you're in it, it's it's really hard to make decisions. And I think a friend of mine was talking to me about, who has a similar, a friend of mine, there's a friend of mine who has um, her own version, a, a, a very different experience with body and relationship with food to me um she's the only person in real life outside of therapy who I've ever because I don't actually talk about this stuff in therapy I mean if anything we're, we've been seeing each other for a few years now so we're talking about the stuff behind it I imagine but um she was talking to me about learning to parent ourselves and you know I didn't really know what that meant straight away but then I started thinking oh my god yeah I, I think I get that now it's kind of like looking after yourself you know looking after your body the physiology I think it's really important to look after our physical bodies first and then the emotional health but I think the parenting side of it really did sort of dropped for me um, when I thought about it for a while because I thought oh my god that's what I've not been doing I've been just running around headless being ill drinking doing whatever eating things I shouldn't eat, not eating enough things that probably would be good for me to eat and nourishing things for me to eat. And yet if I was looking after somebody else, 
I know what I would do. So it's about kind of like trying to apply that to ourselves, you know, maybe. Um, that seems yeah. like a good way to go. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, it's how it, it's that compassion word again, I suppose, you know. I kind of I was thinking then about my experience and the the weird things that I would do and the way I would behave when I wasn't well. I used to hate myself for that. And when it was pointed out to me through therapy that um these are just like coping mechanisms. This is just like the inner me, like little Tom's just trying to look after you. And they might not be the best coping. It might not be the healthiest, but you're just doing the best you can with what you've got. And then when you start to think of it like that, and, uh, you know, I'm the same. I have things that I do when I feel myself not not being very well, and I choose to do them anyway. But the difference is now I'm in control. And I say, right, well, I really need to wallow in this. I'm going to do it for 24 hours, 48 hours. I'm going to tell my wife that I intend to do it. And she's going to, you know, because she understands, she's going to like maybe carry the, do the heavy lifting with the kids for a couple of days and let me sort myself out. But there will come a point when I say, right, I've done my, I've done my wallowing. And now I need to do the other things that I know are good for me that I really don't want to fucking do right now, but I'm going to do them anyway. And whether that's, and you know, but yeah, having control and it's whether you control it or it controls you. And that's the big difference, I think. Yeah, that is the big difference, I think. And actually just on another note, you mentioned your wife then. When I was listening to your story, I thought what a hero she was and probably still is. And it got me thinking about just the people who, you know, because when we talk about our mental health, lives uh, when we talk about our mental health experiences and, I, and I've been sort of thinking more about this my situation um as because what I'm trying to say is like whether you're acting out into the thing so I'm obviously I'm talking about very sort of tangible things like food and alcohol and things like that whether I'm drinking or not or binging or starving or whatever it might be or throwing up or whatever the things might be I um that's a separate thing to still having the stuff that causes that. So I think sometimes people think you're better when you're not acting on the thing anymore, but actually the illness is still there, I think. And um, so in a way I've started thinking about these illnesses, depression, anxiety as well, like all of whatever your thing that might be that you're dealing with. Cause I've got friends who deal with so many things Um I've started thinking of them as flare up as, as like a, it's like a physiological mental illness in the sense that it will flare up and unexpectedly unannounced. And, you know, cause I had a relationship, quite a long relationship with someone who was quite prone to depression, um, which ended and I wrote about it in my book cause it, it finished um, while I was writing just before I started writing the first draft and it was um, awful and devastating ending. But I was the person on the outside of that. And when you just mentioned your wife, it, it just got me thinking about how hard it is to love someone who's going through a thing. And when I was listening to your story, I was thinking about me and how hard, I, difficult it was probably for my mum. I mean, I, I know it was for my, for my poor mum, seeing me destroy myself um, and all the other people in my life who loved me. I think we don't... Um, that's a whole other story, isn't it? The people outside um, and how, you know, how we, I mean, I'm not going to speak for you, obviously, but I, I just think, God, I was awful and unkind and I lied and these people could easily have walked away, you know, and I just think they're heroes. And, um, yeah, because, you know, when you're in that despair 
and um because also part of the thing I don't know about you but like you know when you're in the illness or when you're in that dark place or places or you know whatever I think that it's I would compare myself to other people quite a lot like why can't I be like them did you ever do that like you know yeah Yeah, like a desperation. Like, I just want to be well. Like, I just want to be, I don't want to fight this. I don't want to have to deal with this. Like, a almost like a, a, a woe is me, why me, how come they can do it? And I, how come everyone else can cope with this modern world that's so fast and, and, and I can't? Yeah, there's definitely And then that also, element to it. because I, I, I would look at people and I would think, how are they doing it? And then I would look at the people who were closest to me who were telling me that they loved me and wonder why they did. And, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it's a really strange place to be, isn't it? Like where you just can't connect because you're just... But the awful thing is as well is that when these people... Because it's such a lonely, sad, terrible place to be, but that when you're in the illness... it's you just it, it wants you to be alone like when away from everything and to be in that despair and then it will kill you I think emotionally and for some people unfortunately it will kill them physically as well you know whether they take their own life or that you know or whether they get sick like get an illness that's physic physical because I think these things can manifest in, in in our bodies and become diseases for some people Um, what am I trying to say? I guess I'm trying to say that um, these things will take us away and withdraw. And I sometimes find, I find it excruciating when I've been in places because I've had like relapses over the years where people who lo love me want to confront me about it and, and they're looking at me. I'm just kind of like, no, 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 I'll just go away and get better and I'll come back when I've done it and then you can love me again. <laughs> That's kind of where I go. Isn't it strange? Mm. You can't like I, I spoke to um, uh, an Olympic athlete called Natasha Danvers and she um, something she said to me I always think of is she just you cannot trust a poor, poorly brain. You just can't trust it. It's, t it's not telling you the right things to do. The messaging's wrong. It can't be relied upon. And like it, it's one thing knowing that when everything seems to be going OK. And then if you're having a, a bad patch, it's really hard to remember that the. The, these things you can say so definitively are, uh, you know, like that that you should be alone or that you are unlovable and you know, pushing people away and all that sort of stuff. It's so hard to, I think that's one of the hardest things for people who haven't experienced it to, to realize just how real those thoughts are, just how, you know, and you can say you are not your thoughts and all this sort of, you, you can say every line in a book, but it means nothing when you're in the, the trenches. The only thing, you know, just experience is, is, uh, It's so it's so important, isn't it? You know, and yeah, it's a, a big part of the conversation is how it affects the people, people around us. Yeah, very much so. That, I mean, that that could be something interesting to um, I'm like conscious of your time today, Nadia, but is it like a few things I think would be interesting to to touch on? And um, I suppose you kind of mentioned before writing in the book about like the wellness industry and, and something that you said about yoga is that how it's often made not accessible for the people who need it most, kind of something along those 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 lines and that that really stood out to me if, with a comparison to the conversation around mental health because I've, i always think of the mental health conversation as being this great big echo chamber where all these people that are, are well and recovered telling each other that it's okay to not be okay but when i was ill i didn't know that conversation existed right it's, it can be quite 
I don't want to say elitist because it's not a class thing, but I mean, it is a class thing. Everything is, but also it's not. Um, I don't quite know what how I'm trying to phrase this question, but there is that element, I suppose, of uh, the people who really need to, whether it's hear the conversations or maybe be in, in the yoga class and and, and go yeah. on that journey. Um, it's It can be hard for those people to find these things, I suppose I'm, I'm saying. Yeah, asking. but I think it's it can be hard for people to find those things because they're because I think it is elitist in in a lot of ways and because it's expensive it's often um you know it's portrayed in a certain way that only a certain type of person will do be do yoga you know it's usually going to be like somebody who looks bendy all the marketing shows us that and then you know if you're a bloke and I've had blokes tell me this and I've had women tell me this as well so it's not just a gender thing but it's it's um body shape gender ethnicity is excluding people across the board from so many different in so many different ways but it is a class thing because like what you were just saying about um uh class it just got me thinking about um access to therapy and access to um things that help us and support us and prop us up um you know i pay for therapy and i it's and there's been times where I've been struggling because same as you, you know, I do bits and pieces as well. I do. I don't have a nine to five anymore. And there's been times where I've been really up against it and I've thought I can't afford to do this anymore. I might sack, sack it off. You know, I'm not going to do it. And I've had to have conversations where my therapist has been kind of like quite helpful to kind of slide things around for me and make it possible for me to carry on, which is really amazing. I don't know whether everybody would. And my mum's like really put her foot down and sort of said to me, stepped in and said, like, you can't like you can't clinically. You just can't just walk away from that. But it really gets me thinking and makes me really resentful and upset that I'm scraping by here and, you know, thankfully still paying and able to pay. And there are so many if I were it not for that access to the therapy and I suppose those classes that my mum took me to, if I didn't hadn't had my mum to take me along where would I be? And I, so it, it, and it really, really upsets me. I can get really quite despairing about it because I think about me just doing my journey here. And then I think there are going to be so many other people out there who have got no one to say to them, have you tried this thing or, you know, counseling here's here's some here's someone you can go and see I mean it would be my dream I just wish that therapy could be available for everybody for young people um but proper good you know not time time sensitive therapy not six sessions 12 sessions whatever I mean one of the funniest things actually I'm going off topic here I'm really sorry I feel like this conversation has been a bit all over the shop today I apologize but I did the first thing I did when I went to see this therapist the one I'm seeing um was I clapped my hands together and I was like, right, how long is this going to take? Because I went in there with this kind of real, just let's get this done. I'm not going to be here long. Can't be asked with this. I've shown up. You know, I think I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder because I felt like I'd been shoved in there. I didn't really want to do it, with, but, but you know, but by my um, the person I was in a relationship at the time, who'd sort of said, you know, I think you need help. And I was like, all right, then. It's always me that's the problem. Okay. And I went and found this therapist who was brilliant. But I did want him to tell me when it was going to be done. I wanted him to, I wanted, I thought he was going to fix me. I, well, I was hoping that he was going to fix it, whatever was broken, the malware that was in, the computer malware that was in my body. I wanted him to find the virus and make it all better. Um, and then you learn, don't you, that, that that isn't what he, the job is. 
that they're not there going to fix because maybe there, there isn't really anything to fix where that is so nuanced again isn't it looking at all the sort of bits of us and looking at bits of us that we haven't seen before and it's such a profound experience I mean I've been doing it for a few years now and which brings me back to the despair about access and how long it takes and that's when I started settling into it as well. Like after maybe a couple of years, I thought, because he said, I said, how long do you think it's going to take? And he said, mm, I think with someone with your complex needs, were his words, um, very kind way of putting it. Um, he said, I think it's going to take a few years. And I just didn't believe him. I thought, what does he know? I'm going to get this done. And I'll show I'm, him. <laughs> and I'm going to be out the door. Like he hasn't got a clue. I'm not, I haven't got time to dick about here. Um, but I have sort of, sort of surrendered and given in and there were there were there've been periods where I mean I think look forward to might be a strange way of putting it but I do miss it when we have the breaks because you know there's a break at the end of the year at Christmas time there's a there's a couple of breaks that we have like a two-week break at other points in the year and I do really notice it I notice the absence I notice how I really rely on having that kind of wise somebody who's way smarter than me and I think has just got insight into things that I've I don't know, maybe I thought I was arrogant and thought I knew myself better than anyone else. And I possibly do in lots of ways, but then to go and speak to a learned person, you know, about who's going to bring fresh perspectives to you is such a privilege. I wish it wasn't. It really upsets me. I know I keep saying that, but it's so it's so awful, isn't it, Tom? Like, there's going to be so many, there's going to be so many, I find it really sad that there's going to be so many people who are not going to make it because they don't have access to, you know, yeah, like we're talking about, you know, you, you, you've you been talking about yoga, bringing up yoga and what it meant to me and how it helped me. But then also, so there's the bodying side of it, but then there's also the talking side of it. And um, I don't know what the solution is because we live in this crazy mad world where, mm. you know, an Instagram post isn't going to cut it. You know, it needs that digging, that kind of, and digging and digging and digging. My therapist actually early on used to talk about um, root canal treatment, like, you know, digging, drilling down into it. And then we, you know, the bits where I wanted to run away were when we'd hit a nerve, you know, and I'd be like, <clears throat> and pull back and just be like, I don't want to do this anymore. And that's actually where the work is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and that's, and that's, I guess what I'm illustrating is that when you do a timed sensitive or a timed six weeks, 12 weeks sessions. It's kind of, I think people just do a patch up job. That's what that's designed for. And it's like, yeah, off you go again. It's kind of putting a plaster. Mm. It's like going back at, I mean, if we use the war analogy, I don't know why I've come up with this, but like, if we think about it being like, you know, it can be a little bit again, elemental out there in life, you know, because of this fast paced mad world we have. And we have to bolster ourselves up with our strategies that we use or armor or whatever it is that we want to say. And then we go out there um, you know, like it, it's not going to be done, is it? In um, it's not it's not really going to be that effective if you know after mm -hmm. just a short space of time. It's like we need to going back to the resilience idea, I suppose, of like actually build the muscle to deal with these things. Um, yeah, because I think yeah, it, yeah. yeah, and have and have the time to like put the learnings into life, 
You know, sometimes I'll take a break from therapy because I feel like, you know what, I've done so much, but I need to go and apply this now because, you know, I have been guilty in the past, certainly of hiding in the work, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, look at all the books I'm reading. Look at everything I'm listening to. I'm doing absolutely nothing, but I'm doing all the reading, you know, so to actually apply it. But um, so a guest said to me, um, uh, probably a couple of years ago, and we're talking about mental health awareness and it's a guy called John Salmon. And he said to me, signposting is the new awareness. And I've thought about that a lot. And I live on Merseyside and um, Merseyside is blessed with small charities in local communities that are doing amazing things. Like I I could name 10 and they're dishing out free therapy. They're dishing out 24 hour crisis support. You know, um, a lot of them do yoga classes, mindfulness classes, gym stuff. There's so much of it. And when I'm surrounded by it, a lot of them, I call my friends now through doing this. When I was poorly and I needed something like that, I didn't know they existed. I'd never heard of them. And a lot of people are probably in that situation. And you know, just the way society works. We, there might be some like celebrity with a massive following and, you know, they'll come out and say, it's okay not to be okay. And everyone goes, oh, you're so brave. Let's make that go viral. And then meantime, there's like a guy down the road in a community center who's literally saving lives every single day. And let's let's make him go viral so he can have a massive following and then reach more people and impact more people. You know, not the person who's got money. And, you know, of course, um, you know, mental health, it doesn't matter how rich you are or whether you're famous or not. But if you've got loads of money, like you say, you ain't on, you ain't waiting 18 months for, for therapy and only having to have six sessions. Do you know what I mean? It's a different, it is a different thing. And I, I sometimes I think, well, not sometimes, all the time, I think like, yeah, we should sort of celebrate the more the community level, the stuff local to us, you know, and look around us and, and spread the word because there's people out there that are doing this thing and it. People need to know about it, right? Totally, yeah. I'm all about that. I think the unsung heroes in the local community, they're doing the really impactful work and really changing lives, like you say, all the time. And I think, but one another thing that I got, got me thinking from what you were saying was that, you know, like you didn't know about those things that were going on when you were struggling. Um, but also, you know, I suppose another question is like, would you have gone anyway if you had known? Because I think sometimes when you're in that, in that depth, you know, when you're in that despair, I think sometimes people... Like I wouldn't have gone to the yoga class. My mum took me. And I think it's kind of, yeah, that's why I think signposting is really important. But then also like having people who might sort of take you along or um, show you, because I think I think the thing with therapy as well is that, you know, I didn't really want to go to therapy and start again because I didn't want to have to look for someone, all of this thing when I first started with this person I'm seeing um because and you know it, it's quite a big deal isn't it to like go and open that door and open that and then so and I think a lot of us in, are in denial about our things and our issues and things and we just think don't think it's that bad I think that was one of my big things I just didn't think I was sick enough to go and get better and I had my head in the toilet and I was throwing up like it's like how sick you gotta be to go and get help do you know what I mean I think we're not really designed that way for some reason I think again the dark side of the resilience is that we don't think that we're we need the help but yeah I think in the community I mean I just think that's where like being the animals and like looking after each other and looking out for each other comes in because I think when you live in a an area where people are doing these things maybe somebody might take you along or they might sort of um I don't know if I'm idealising it a little bit in my head because London is just not like that. I mean, yeah, there are community things going on, but as a city as a whole, we're generally pretty anonymous to each other and 
that's why I like going to the gym that I go to because when I walk in, you know, everybody knows me, the trainers know me. I have conversations in the changing rooms and I go out my day and the relationships that I have there don't leave the gym. It doesn't matter because the impact they have on my life is already, it's working, you know? And I think um, that's, again, going back to the yoga thing is what's missing. I've made more friends there than I have in any yoga studio I've ever been to because of the way that it's designed. It's the story that, that's being told around yoga is that we're all separate, that we go in quietly, that we, you know, that, I mean, I, I think it's really important that we, yoga studios, we want them to be peaceful places and nice, nice and quiet. And I, you know, we don't want it to be all now jarring. And a lot of people come maybe when they're in a vulnerable space in their life for the first time, we want them to be welcoming. But on the same token, it's, isn't it interesting that I just didn't really make any friends <laughs> when I was going to these yoga studios. And yet this whole practice is about connecting with ourselves, relationship with others um, for the greater good, you know, um, I just found it all really cold and quite clinical and kind of quite, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's all like that. It's always like that. And, it, and it's, it's definitely loads of people, places that I teach, for example, aren't like that um, in London. But I just think uh, London's very geared up to a very solitary solitude kind of life, which is why I fantasize. And hopefully, you know, in the next few years, we'll, we won't live here anymore. Because I just, again, like you said about the fast paced life, the fast paced world, I but I don't know whether my heart is happy in a in an environment that is geared towards just, you know, like doing everything on our own. Um, because if I'm really serious about recovery, I think it is about we need each other to succeed. Whatever succeed means, that's another funny word, isn't it? But you know what I mean? In terms of like going well in yeah. on our way, um, we, we need it just softens everything. I just think it makes everything softer and around the edges in a, in a way that is how life, you know, how life should be really. It doesn't have to be so hard and harsh and sharp. Um, yeah. I f I'm really rambling today. I'm sorry. I oh think mate, not at all. I'm here for it. I'm here for all of it. Yeah. I know exactly what you're saying. There's a big difference between uh, like, surviving and thriving right and that's the you can get to that point of survival and then yeah thriving something different different altogether but yeah mate that just flew by i've had so much fun chatting to you today nadia thank you so much for joining me that was lovely thanks for inviting me on it was a pleasure oh cheers mate Big up to the proper mental podcast. The proper mental podcast.